Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about our world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas, and you may have to challenge many today, behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, and in our Spotlight of the Week segment this week, we turn to the subject of genetically modified humans. An advisory committee of the Food and Drug Administration recently held two days of meetings to consider radical biological procedures that, if successful, would produce genetically modified human beings. Now, I can remember reading a book way back in the early 70s titled Brave New Baby, Promise and Peril of the Biological Revolution. This was the early 70s. The book was by David Rorvik. I was astounded by some of the technological advances and the promise of what was to come. There were critics that compared the book to science fiction more than scientific fact. I recently visited Amazon, however, to see if the book was still available because its prophecies are no longer a prophecy, but a fact. And lo and behold, the book was not only available, it had just recently been re-released in hardback. So what are we talking about here? Well, the genetic alteration of the human condition, of course, think of it. We can isolate genes now for almost everything, and it won't be long before the almost in that sentence will disappear. So we can target and replace genes that produce disease. That sounds good. Or weaken the human condition in some way. That sounds good. And so on and so forth. The procedures in question are called mitochondrial manipulation technologies. The procedures involve removing the nuclear material either from the egg or embryo of a woman with inheritable mitochondrial disease and inserting it into a healthy egg or embryo of a donor whose own nuclear material has been discarded. Any offspring would carry genetic material from three people, therefore, the nuclear DNA of the mother and the father and the mitochondrial DNA of the donor. Quoting from a recent article in the New York Times, quote, Unfortunately, there are now worrisome signs that opposition to inheritable genetic modifications written into law by dozens of countries, according to our account, may be weakening. British regulators are also considering mitochondrial manipulations, and proponents there, like their counterparts in the United States, want to move quickly to clinical trials. Researchers at Oregon Health and Science University have produced five monkeys using one of these techniques. Four are now adults, and five appear, all five appear healthy. But we won't know for years, the article goes on to say, how subsequent generations may be affected. And the Oregon Health and Science University researchers themselves report a difference between their experience with the monkeys and their work so far on fertilized human eggs. More than half of the human zygotes had abnormalities not observed in the fertilized eggs of the monkeys. Close quote. All right, alas, assume everything works well and the science becomes so sophisticated that the risk factor is basically nil. How long will it be before someone decides that irrational thinking, 
such as that which leads to unscientific beliefs, should be removed. I mean, one day, somebody who supposedly knows what's best for all may decide that a gene which tends toward a belief they find unacceptable, say that of a belief in the supernatural, is inappropriate, and just cross that one out of our makeup. I mean, don't you just love the possibilities in this one? It would seem that technology continues to outrace ethics, and if we're not careful, it may well rewrite our ethical standards by all. And, and, and you know, and it may do so by its little lonesome self without the conscious input from the public at large or the ethicists themselves. Convenience often does dictate our values, and unfortunately, sometimes... What sounds really good and may be good in isolated situations isn't, doesn't turn out to be the best thing for all. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I think it's a fascinating subject. It actually reminded me a little bit of Battlestar Galactica. Remember, you know, they had the six forms of Cylons, you know. Well, if you started having that kind of genetic engineering going on, there are certain traits that, you know, the world over are seen to be more desirable. I mean, you get people in Asian countries having surgery done on their eyelids so they, you know, they have the more Western kind of look. In India, the fairer skin is considered more. Well, if you refined it and refined it and refined it, then you'd end up with just these certain groups of people, you know, just like you do in Battlestar Galactica. And then you could decide that one certain group had defective thinking as well, and maybe they would be shut down totally. I mean, these things sound really far-fetched, but they are things that we have to consider right now, or there won't be any diversity and some of the problems that come along. I mean, you could wipe out an entire nation just because they're genetically the same. The very thing that keeps us strong and is diversity going is the diversity amen 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 i don't know what the answer is it is a uh, it is a deep hole fact of the matter is it has great potential and wonderful promise but we do need to get our hands around this one and get it around it quickly i agree all right every week i read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful last week our guest was marcy shimoff and we discussed being happy for no reason kathy wrote Marcy sounds both spiritual and practical, which resonates with me. CB remarked, I really liked how Marcy handled the hard questions, very quick in articulation, yet one could tell she had to consider her answer. She sounds really stable on her path of beingness. Mark wrote, Today's show with Marcy Shimoff was one of my favorites. I thought her ideas on happiness were well thought out. For her, happiness is not an emotion, but a state of well-being. Jeremy wrote, I love your shows and I love your CDs. Well, we're glad you do, Jeremy. Chris wrote, I'm enjoying your CDs very much. Wendy wrote, I want to thank you so, so much for the help I have experienced through your wonderful creations. I've been trying all my life to better myself and my life using homeopathy and reading self-help books, which gave some help, but only so far. The CDs I have been using have changed my, have changed me. I am amazed. My husband is amazed. My kids are amazed. I find myself telling everyone about your products, and I want to help others as I have helped them, or as you have helped, as I have been helped. Thank you again. I have trouble reading that letter. I'm sorry, Wendy. That's a wonderful letter, and we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. 
Lisa wrote, I am noticing while using the Intertalk Ultra Prosperity CD that I am experiencing a lot of positive coincidences. I seem to be in the right place at the right time, even in matters that have nothing to do with money or wealth. It kind of works that way, doesn't it, Raph? It does. Ganesh wrote, I'm writing to thank you for recording Psalm 23. It really helps me to manage my 13-year-old to deal with his challenging behavior. I play your recording before I deal with a difficult situation. I do not know how I would cope without your inner talk recording. This is one of the best emotional survival tools I have come across. Thank you for creating such a wonderful recording. Well, you're more than welcome, Ganesh. Albert wrote, Oh, I love this letter. You ready for this one? I listen to talk radio all day, nearly every day. There are all kinds of hosts and shows, but there is only one provocative enlightenment. You have absolutely the best show on the airwaves, barring none. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, Albert. We're thrilled you think so. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We can't get all of your letters on the air, but they do impact our programming, and once again, I both appreciate and thank you for your feedback and continued support. Now to this week's show, and do we ever have a show for you today? We will be discussing the book, 47 Billion Years of Evolution. This is what Dr. Stanley Krippner had to say about this book. Quote, Suspend your ordinary belief system and plunge into this outrageous book by Barham and Hybe. But the actual authors of this book, we are told, were two materialized, discarnate entities, each of whom appeared with a complete physical body and a working speech apparatus. Once you feel you are sufficiently open-minded to delve into the book's content, you will find a remarkable account of humankind's evolution, past, present, and future. For me, the most interesting part of the book was its spin on biblical stories, early Christian church history, and its discussion of Buddhism. Regardless of the author's origins, this self-styled case report is well-written, articulate, and grounded in the existing literature, including research studies on channeling and mediumship. Reading it was a valuable exercise in looking at the universe through a different prism, one that is bizarre and esoteric, but nonetheless coherent, if not always convincing. Close quote. Okay, we have a party today. We have three guests joining us, and we'll have a fourth one drop in a little later. Each of our principal guests have a different perspective on the same work, a book whose author crossed over before we could get her to the show. Indeed, we had her scheduled, had to postpone the show, and I'm afraid we missed an opportunity. Nevertheless, we're going to look at this book, and we're going to look at it through the eyes of some experts. Um, The author is a Dr. Martha J. Barham. Dr. Barham was originally booked to the show, as I say, with her friend and editor, Dr. Elaine Hybe. Dr. Hybe worked closely with Dr. Barham and knows the material very well, and she joins us today together with my old friend, neurosurgeon and author, Dr. John L. Turner, and another frequent guest and favorite of mine, Michael Tim. We will also be joined, as I say later, by a special guest who not only knew the author, but participated in some of the sessions from which the content of the book is taken. So let me tell you a little bit about the author and today's guest. Our author 
Uh, as I said, uh, the late Martha Marty, as she went by, J. Barham, RN, Ph.D., was a registered nurse and licensed psychologist. She practiced as a therapist for over 40 years. Her book is the result of messages she received from two materialized beings during seances, or what Dr. Barham termed as darkroom sessions. Now, we're going to focus on one book today, but there are really three. We'll be looking at 47 billion years of evolution. Now, these sessions could take place in front of many witnesses and would last typically two hours, generally occurring at least twice a week. Dr. Barham's husband served as the channel. During one session, there was enough light for photographs which are reproduced on the Facebook page, and I'd encourage you all to go like that page, Evolution and Spirituality. The entities went by the names Anka, I think that's how we say it, but I'll get it cleared. It could have been Anka, and Mario. Okay, joining us today is Dr. Elaine Hybe. She has been a professor of clinical psychology and a licensed psychologist for over 30 years in Honolulu. She has over 100 scholarly publications. In recent years, her research interests have included the integration of quantum physics as an explanatory mechanism for human experiences that are generally labeled as spiritual or psychic. Again, for clarification, Dr. Hybe worked closely with Dr. Barham for some 10 years or more. They were close personal friends, and she is the editor of 47 Billion Years of Evolution. Also joining us today is Dr. John L. Turner, the author of Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, A Doctor's Journey Through the Worlds of Divine Intervention, Near-Death Experiences, and Universal Energy. Dr. Turner graduated from Ohio State University with a degree in engineering physics and continued in graduate school at Ohio State University Department of Physics. Three years into the Ph.D. program, he was given a book about Edgar Cayce, The Sleeping Prophet. This changed the course of his life. He was excited about the existence of a spiritual world and made immediate plans to attend the Ohio State University's College of Medicine, where he earned his M.D. He completed his internship year in general surgery and his first year in neurosurgical residency at Ohio State University. He completed the remaining four years of neurosurgical training at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. Now also joining us is Michael Tim our go-to expert whenever we deal with mediumship. A 1958 graduate of San Jose State University School of Journalism, Michael Tim had two concurrent careers after spending three years as an officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. One is an insurance claims representative, supervisor and manager, and the other is a freelance journalist. In his 40-year insurance career, Mike was called upon daily to apply the scientific method by weighing evidence in various types of civil claims and litigation and to make decisions relative to settling the claims or allowing them to go to trial. As a journalist, Mike has has contributed more than 1,500 articles to some 40 publications over the past 50 years. He has authored five books, The Articulate Dead, Running on Third Wind, The Afterlife Revealed, Transcending the Titanic, The Afterlife Explorers, the last three, all published by White Crow Books. All right, on that, let's get them all in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Professor Hybe, Dr. Turner, and Mr. Tim. Hello, Eldon. This is Jack Turner. Yeah, hi, Eldon. This is Mike Tim. Hi, Eldon. This is Elaine Hybe. 
And how are you all? It's great to have you here, and it's so wonderful that you took turns speaking. I was about to say, okay, so we don't mess up and talk over each other, <laughs> but but that's great. Listen, you know, to begin with, Professor Hybee, let me start with you. Please tell us how you became involved with the book and share with us your personal observations of both the author and the book's content with regard to just how seriously one should maybe take this material, 47 billion years of evolution. Okay. Um, well, I actually met uh, Marty, and her prior books were edited by uh, Tom Green, another clinical psychologist. And I met them through our uh, psychological association, the Hawaii Psychological Association. And I knew them for 10 years. Uh, just as colleagues, and we became friends. And it took that long for them to trust me enough to share their book that, that described the darkroom activities. Uh, by the time uh, they did that, unfortunately, uh, Marty's husband uh, retired. So I didn't sit with them. You took the material very seriously. You you take this material to be genuine. That's more or I less. I knew Marty, the bottom Marty line. and Tom. I knew Marty and Tom were sane, uh, ethical, honest, humble, uh, very intelligent, and I had no reason to think suddenly their books would not be. Uh, and uh, I was, you know, respected, learned to respect them before I knew about their books. Right. And right. then their books, as I said, intuitively and uh, empirically felt All correct. Right. All right. Mr. Tim, Michael yes. Tim, you and I have had lots of conversations. You are really my go-to guy when it comes to, you know, how credible is the possibility of this uh, psychic event, this materialization, particularly mediumship and so forth. And you wrote a foreword for the book. Um let me ask you this then. Bottom line, how seriously do you take this work, Mike? Well, it pretty much exceeded my boggle threshold the first time I um, read it, but uh, it's consistent with other types of mediumship, and I have no reason to doubt. Now, I met Marty. Uh, I didn't know her very well, but I just can't believe she made this whole thing up, and I don't know any other explanation to give to it other than that, you know, it's fact. Okay. Dr. Turner, let me turn to you now, just again, to get this kind of anchored down. You wrote a foreword for the book as well, and I know from our personal conversations that this book had a significant impact on you. 
I'd like, you know, you to kind of flesh out that impact and tell me and, and our entire audience how credible you found this book. Well, I <laughs> put it like this, Eldon. I had known about the prior work, uh, Bridging Two Worlds and the Silver Cord, and I was really interested in the fact that of the materialized spirits, uh, when I was shown a picture, and that's is what we're discussing in the chat room, of Anka. I mean, I said, my gosh, look at that. The skin is black as coal, and the hair is curly and black. And, you know, as an African-American myself, how could I pass up a chance to uh, not only read the book, but to be able to comment on the book in a brief foreword? Uh, so personally to me, this meant a lot, a uh, chance to do this. However, as I got into the book and realized that this book answered the fourth question for me, the first three, which had been, number one, why are we here, where do we come from, and where do we go when we take our last breath, breath on Earth, I thought I had pretty much covered that when I finished my book five years ago. However, the missing thing was, where did this here, so to speak, this universe come from in the first place. And if I may quickly tell you why I was confused about this, as a physicist, I, you mentioned about my degree in engineering right. physics, I could understand the, the physics of how this all came from nothing. And a great book on that, as I mentioned in my foreword, is A Universe from Nothing by uh, Dr. Krauss, who explains that everything that we know could come from absolutely nothing, meaning not even an initial energy source, but from nothing. Well, understanding the physics is one thing, but really trying to say, okay, I fully understand, was difficult for me until this book. Because as the entities uh, lectured and described, uh, it all came from what we know as the source. People call this God, Allah, whatever. But it's the source we all came from. And, you know, we're beings of light, except for perhaps hydrogen and helium. Everything came from an explosion of a supernova somewhere. So we're beings of light. And as they explained, we return to that source. But for me, the key things were... Yes, go ahead. I, I'm going to have you hold it there. We, we, we have a break coming back. But, um, you know, you had a experience. You had a patient come to you yesterday. And the patient happened to know uh, uh, personally, uh, have actually visited, been present during a session, I guess that's where I want to go. So she has seen this manifestation that you just described the photograph of, and you were able to uh, get her to join us today to tell us about the manifestation so when we come back from the break i am going to ask you to tell me you know flesh out the story of how you met your patient yesterday maybe some of the synchronicity and we'll get her on the air i'll have our producer raise her up while we're at break and we'll have her tell us about this black man anka with the curly hair the that you just described to us all right on that um we're discussing 47 billion years of evolution, a compelling work by the late Dr. Martha Barham and edited by Professor Elaine Hybe. I want you to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash evolution and spirituality. There's the photos that uh, Dr. Turner spoke about are there. Uh, it's an incredible page. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. 
Go ahead, Dr. Hybe, real quick. Yeah, I just, well, I just want to add, there's also a web page, 47 billion years. That okay, we'll come back. We'll give them all of that on. when we get back. Stay okay. tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after some interesting words from our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. We are all very aware of the power of belief. But are you aware that many times it is your inner beliefs that cause you to sabotage your own dreams and goals? Success is so much more likely when your inner beliefs are in line with your outer goals. And now, using Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk technology, you can do just this. InnerTalk is a patented subliminal technology and is the only such technology to be researched by numerous independent universities and institutions, including Stanford, and been demonstrated effective at priming your self-talk. There are hundreds of titles to choose from, ranging from weight loss to esteem, organized and efficient to prosperity and abundance, attracting the right love relationship to winning sports performance, accelerated learning to accelerated healing. Eldon Taylor's patented InnerTalk technology is your key to success. Check it out today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. InnerTalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're discussing 47 billion years of evolution with Professor Elaine Hybe, neurosurgeon Dr. John Turner, and research historian Mr. Michael Tim. Before the break, Dr. Turner, you were explaining not just the impact of the book, but I wanted you to tell us about this what I see as synchronistic event where just before you're going on to the radio show, you have a patient come to you. Um, see, you know, I don't want to cut you off from the first part, the story of how important the book was, because I know it, you know, it changed your life. So maybe you can, you can finish that and then segue into yesterday's meeting and, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get our special, uh, eyewitness up on the air with us. All right, Eldon. Of course, it's going to be difficult to discuss something that took 47 billion years in just a two-hour show, but I know you're going to do your best. Uh, yes, I was saying the importance of this book is that these entities uh, explain that this source of everything that we all came from and that we all return to is not an omnipotent type of uh, power that knows everything about everything because if so, there would be no need to do anything, and everyone has wondered why there is something rather than nothing. It would be so easy not to have all of this energy for us in the forms of pencils and machines and cars and all that. It would be so easy to do nothing, but this source has to see life throughout the universe and then give it enough free will to see how it will evolve as part of its own evolution. Now, that all fit in with, with what I've been thinking, how this all could work. And then as I studied ancient Egypt, and their first god was a, a god named Atum, A-T-U-M, who created himself from absolutely nothing, and then went on to create everything else. So the whole thing is very fascinating. Now, as far as coincidences and synchronicity, yes, I've finally come to learn there are no things such as coincidences. It seems like every single thing is planned out for us in exquisite detail. And as we talked about this show, Eldon, I told you about this book and how important I thought it was to me, at least, and for everyone. 
you agreed to have uh, the authors on your show. The editor, Dr. Hybe, who's with us today, uh, who I had a chance to meet, to meet, to our friend Michael Tim, I think, you know, introduced us. And we've met in person here on the Big Island uh, last year or two. And then uh, Dr. Uh, Marty Barham was agreed to be on the show, too. And I thought that was going to be a great show. And then uh, when you asked me what I talk about enlightenment as far as my personal experiences, uh, like with John of God and all those things, I said I would rather join these two ladies on the show because I think this book is much more important than anything I've done. I'm small potatoes compared to what we're going to talk about today. And then when Dr. Barham passed away and transitioned, uh, Mike Tim agreed to come on the show. And I think he can explain how this came about. And hopefully, Mike, you can talk a little bit about the vision and all these things. Again, another event that I don't think was uh, just by chance. But yesterday, a patient came to see me that you'll hear from shortly, uh, who will call Bobby, uh, who came to see me as I see patients that have been injured in industrial accidents or auto accidents. And she came to see me because of some medical problems, and I don't know how it came up, but as we talked, uh, I found out that, lo and behold, she had been part of those darkroom sessions in the mainland and knew many of the participants. But more importantly, Eldon, she was there to touch, see, and hear these entities. And I think what you're going to hear from her is extremely important to hear. All right. Well, let's let's do that. Let's... Uh... Let's get uh, Roberta Leone, uh, goes by Bobby, I guess, uh, to join us. Are you there, uh, Bobby? I am. Well, excellent. Thank you for joining us today. Please describe what one of these dark room sessions, the seance was about, what it was that you saw and touched, if you will, please. Well, uh, I was in one uh, session um, way in the early 80s, late 70s. And I was invited by um, Elizabeth to... Uh, this is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? Yes, it is. Okay. And um, because I had had prior experiences and had shared those with her, um, that was why I got the invitation. Mm-hmm. And um, so because I had had prior experiences, Eldon, I, I really was not a skeptic going in. Um, however, I had never been in that particular kind of environment, so I really didn't know what to expect at all. Uh-huh. And uh, so we all just sat quietly, and um, in a matter of moments, uh, there was what I would call, what it looked like to me, was dense energy. I see that some people have referred to it as smoke or steam or whatever, but that's the best way that I can describe what originally happened. Okay. Now, was it gray? Was it smoky colored? Or when you say dense energy, you know, kind of fill in the visual for me, if you will. Uh, more cloud-like. Okay. Like uh, a water that, vapor. Okay. Uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say that would be a really excellent description. And then from that, um, it was sort of like a rising vortex. And as that rose form began to take shape, and before you knew it, there was a rather tall figure standing there. 
and um, tall. How tall, Bobby? Taller than any human I've ever been with. Okay, like seven foot tall. <laughs> I mean, maybe you know, maybe an amazing basketball player or something like that. Okay, <laughs> but All certainly right. taller than anyone I had ever physically ever been with. And uh, then this form. Uh, began to make some sounds, and then words were formed. Okay, now and have you hold it right there, if you will, Bobby. Yeah. So for our listening audience, I have just, you know, I've got a recording that was taken from one of these sessions, and I've isolated just a small part of this uh, energy's voice. And I believe that you're, you're describing to me who uh, is called Anka. Is that correct? This tall figure? Um, Anka, yes. Yeah, Anka. All right. It, let's let's let the listening audience hear what this voice sounded like, and we'll come right back to your description. Okay, now for everybody out there listening, there is somebody that's actually uh, talking before Anka begins to speak. But if you you'll hear the difference very quickly. The moment that truth comes in, you all that. But the truth for me, in that case I described, the truth for me right there is I would prefer to share that. You would too. naturally want to I share. I would naturally want to share that. I wouldn't want to eat it by myself. In a state of love and necessity, love will win through. Yeah. And love knows no gender. It has no preferences. Its only desire is to express, to share. The energy goes out. And it will attach itself to anything that you allow it to. Okay. Now, please pick it up, fill it in, give us, uh, continue your uh, description, and maybe you can even tell us what we were listening to. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yes. Um, that was Uncle. And, uh, I think that uh, from the time that I was there, uh, that's certainly the voice, uh, and there were opportunities for questions and answers, as you heard in this in this tape that you just played. Uh, but there was also teaching uh, that uh, came rather spontaneously. There doesn't seem to be connected to any question or anything that was going on. Uh, it was more um, just a spontaneous teaching of, uh, of life and, and life after life and where we came from and why and all those kinds of things that all of these wonderful books that you've mentioned, you know, certainly clarify a lot of that information. Um, now, Bobby, you, you, you touched Onka. Is that correct? Yes. Well, actually, Anka touched me. Describe that for us. What did that feel like? Was it skin? Was it bone? Was it, you know, what was, what was it? Um, silkier than skin would be the best way. It wasn't like any skin that you and I have probably ever touched. Um, but but definitely solid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, and how did it, how did he touch you? I put his hand on the side of my face. And, um, 
and just in a caressing sort of touch, in a, a very know, gentle, soft touch on the side of my like face, like a parent to a child. Yes, very much so, like that. Yes. Okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so go on. I just I'm, I'm filling in my own <laughs> 3D image here. Okay. Um, at, at that point, um, I became very emotional, and um, it was more the from the energy that I felt in that touch that touched my heart uh, in a very, very deep way. Um, and one that seemed to bring all of whatever my unresolves were as a human being, it seemed to just make them melt away and become insignificant. Now, you and were so there... You were there the not alone, were you, Bobby? I mean, how many oh, other no. people oh, were goodness, seeing no. this? Oh, gosh. Maybe ten? Ten. So it was a large group of people, and you're either all having a mass hallucination right. and or <laughs> this is really happening, right? Yes, exactly. And you've got some credible people there. I mean, some genuinely credible people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Most definitely. And I mean, some real, okay, so I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to stick around for a minute, but I want to turn to Mike Tim. Mike, what what Bobby just described, the touching, uh, this, this manifestation, do you know of any other cases of this kind? Uh, quite a few in the history of uh, physical mediumship, yes. So what, what she referred to as, Energy, as you probably know, has been called ectoplasm. Uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Charles Roche, uh, Nobel Prize winning physicist and um, back um, in the early part of the, the, the 20th century, uh, named it. It was called also called teleplasm. It was called psychic force. It was called ode, odic force, and so forth. But ectoplasm seems to be the um, uh, most accepted name. And it seems to come in various forms for everything from... Uh, a vapor to a thick, uh, milky white paste. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a standard form of ectoplasm. Nobody's been able to uh, capture any of it to test it and find out what the chemical analysis is because, number one, they're warned that taking some of the ectoplasm could injure the medium because the medium has to reabsorb this ectoplasm. The medium puts it out, or the, I should say that the spirits extract the ectoplasm from the medium as well as from some of the uh, sitters if, if they have any available and it has to return to those people at the end if, if somebody captures part of it it could injure the medium or whoever it's, so it's taken like, from if i may it's like some kind of a subatomic uh, level atoms or something some energy that they're taking from an individual in order to make the composite manifestation and if you damage that you're really damaging a person not the entity that is uh, manifesting have i got that right mike that that's right and actually back in the early 1900s a couple of the researchers did try to to capture some of it, put it in a box, but when they opened the box after they got out of the room, it was gone. It had completely dissolved, so there was no opportunity to um, analyze it chemically, and it's still a mystery as far as science is concerned. But what happens so, is that uh, the spirits use this ectoplasm to, to materialize. It's my understanding that they have to project their image 
into the ectoplasm in order to materialize. So sometimes uh, there are reports that people have identified themselves as someone. There was uh, um, one case in which the, the mother of one of the sitters appeared, and he said, well, it doesn't look like my mother at all. Um, and as it turned out, the mother actually had forgotten what she looked like. I mean, she, she had to recall what she looked like in order to project that image into the um, ectoplasm. And before photography and... and uh, if the person didn't have any fine artwork uh, done of him or herself, then many people didn't really know what they look like. Right. So right. That, that's one of the reasons why some of these images, you know, the people, the materialized entities, didn't look like what the sitters thought they should have looked like. So what Bobby is telling us is totally consistent with your literature and your research uh, with regard to what one might expect in, in, if, if this was genuine. Definitely. Okay. Let's go back to uh, you then asked, for a minute, Bobby. Uh, oh, oh, oh okay. okay. Go ahead, Dr. Uh, for, uh, I, yeah, I was Professor just going to say, um, the, the entity said they use not only the uh, energy of the physical medium that Marty called the channel, but also the energy of people in the group and right. of the physical environment. And Amazing. they have a huge committee. Uh, working on manipulating this energy to create materialization. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, that's good. I, I, Mike did cover that he got it from everybody else there, but you didn't say anything about the committee. Okay, Bobby, let's go yeah. back. And, and, and Professor Hybe, I want to get into the content of the book, but we like to know, you know, who are the messengers, what is the message, and how do we use it? And so right now we're really evaluating you know, the credibility to what this message is, if that makes sense to you. Going yes. back to you, you're there. You, you, yes, you've thanks. just been touched. You know, um, Anka has, has touched the side of your face like you're a child. You were about to tell us this had an emotional impact on it. Please go ahead and flesh that out. Uh, yes. Well, uh, as I was saying that... Um touch triggered something in me that uh, brought me to tears. And the best way that I could understand that in the moment was that it simply felt that all the things in my life that felt unresolved or that I had unresolved around seemed to disappear just leave my spirit, my soul, my mind, my heart, and the relief, I think it was the relief of that that brought me to tears. Um, I, think that most, I think that most of us humans um, go through our lives and we all have unresolved and we all have things that we need to get in balance with and... Um, so we, we simply accept that as the human condition. So for me to have all of that simply removed was remarkable. Now, how long did that condition persist? Does it persist to this day, Bobby? I mean, Oh, yes, absolutely. Those... Absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. So, they, they, you know, it was a one time and it's resolved, dissolved, whatever is appropriate. And that, that's, a, that's a remarkable change then in your life. 
a, a complete change in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't continue in my life and then find that I haven't had an unresolved. However, going back to that experience, it was much easier for me to really release that, really let it go, really not let it hang in there. And because I had a, a deep soul understanding that it, um, it was not necessary. <laughs> it was not necessary to be unresolved. It was not necessary to hang on. It was not necessary to um, be stubborn. And, um, and so that has created a very happy life for me. Bobby, as an eyewitness, did you see this occur with other people that were there as well? This sort well, of we were all, we were all in the room together. We were all having our own individual experience, but certainly was it as cathartic with everybody as with you? As for some, yes, most definitely. For others, possibly not, because I think most of them had been there before. They'd done their work. All right. Well, you have been most helpful. Is there anything that you'd like to add for our listening audience that maybe, you know, I haven't asked you about the, your personal experience with this, uh, this darkroom session? Well, I think the teaching that I got from that darkroom session was that love is the only answer. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense, and we hear that. All right, Let, let's. I appreciate you very much coming to the show. Let's turn now then to the teachings, because what you have here is, uh, you know, we have a vehicle that is um, that challenges credibility just by nature of how the vehicle comes into existence, and that stops a lot of people from even giving it enough. Um, interest to think about reading the preface or the introduction, let alone the entire book. And that's unfortunate, I think. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to lay out in the beginning some credibility. There were some uh, notable witnesses, including Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who uh, Bobby mentioned, it, it actually introduced her to it. And uh, Kubler-Ross, uh, as most people know, is uh, infamous for her, or not infamous, famous for her work in Death and Dying, and, and a very credible person. And, and more about her and the witnesses are available in the book. And I encourage you all to read the book, and I understand, uh, Professor Hybe, that the electronic version of the book is available free. Is that true? Um, it's available for $2.99. Yeah, free. Okay, two dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> the electronic uh, version is a, is available for two dollars and ninety nine cents. So this isn't really this isn't a money making thing. No. Let's then now turn to you, uh, Professor Hybe, for a minute. Um, you know, you're kind of putting your reputation on the line as the editor and willing to go out and do radio shows and make public statements about everything that's in this book. And I'm sure that you probably have had a colleague or two turn a nose up at you. Um, how are you about all of that? Well, believe it or not, uh, no colleague has mentioned this book to me. Uh, so I've had no reactions, but I also... Uh, don't advertise it. But you mentioned I have like a hundred scholarly articles. I never advertise them either. Um, our, none of our colleagues do that. Mm -hmm. So if they were aware, yes, they would uh, probably think I lost 
my marble. Um, <laughs> too bad, a good scientist. Yeah, losing a good scientist. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. So I, you know, it might, and I'm just very confident. I'm 62 years old. I'm a full professor. I've gotten as high in the hierarchy as I can go unless I wanted to do administration, which I don't. So my, I have tenure and my job's protected. I don't care what people say or say. Well, yes, yeah. <laughs> I've taken controversial positions on other issues. I've gone up against our major, the most powerful uh, senator uh, from Hawaii, Senator Inouye, uh, who you may be familiar with. He's yes. uh, transitioned to. I want, I'd like to head with him on uh, some other issues about psychology scope of practice. So I'm accustomed to taking controversial positions. I, I'm not afraid of uh, what my colleagues say if they ever pay attention to my work. <laughs> let, let me ask so, you this. We only have about a minute before the computer's going to kick us up, uh, kick us out. But, <clears throat> I mean, you're going to have students. You're going to have somebody ask you about it. And I'm going to ask you straight up right now. Um do you believe that the information in this book, that that the way it was delivered and the people themselves, is something that we should all pay attention to, we should all read? I mean, are you willing to put your credibility on the line and say, absolutely, when I was translating this, I know these people, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, this book deserves to be read by all? Quickly. Uh, yes. I yes. Am. All and right. Then, we got um, the definitive. Yes, I absolutely am. All right, we have the definitive, no and we also <laughs> we also have a hard break coming up. Uh, I'm going to encourage all of you. you I mean, you know, two dollars and ninety five or ninety nine cents is free in my book. You know, you can get the electronic version if you don't get the hardback version. This book will challenge you, but it is definitely definitely worth taking a look at we're discussing 47 billion years of evolution with professor elaine hybe neurosurgeon dr john turner research historian mr michael tim and we had a special visit from the eyewitness roberta bobby leon we'll be right back after a brief station break and thank you for listening do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you, I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised. It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Professor Elaine Hybe, neurosurgeon Dr. John Turner, and research historian Mr. Michael Tim 
about the channel material in the book 47 Billion Years of Evolution. But before we get back to the show, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I post regularly everything from where I am and what's on next to the latest in science, technology, and consciousness studies, and from time to time, some of my own opinions about the world we live in. And I love your comments and feedback, and Facebook is a great place for that. So please give me a like and join me at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Eldon Taylor. That's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Okay, before our break, uh, Professor Hybee, you had just... Put your reputation on the line. Everything in this book is credible. So let's take on the specificity of the book, the contents of the book. All right. I have to ask, you know, there are three volumes. I know you've only edited on one, but what is the overall abiding message? What What are these volumes attempting to communicate? Uh, well, they're part of a larger uh, worldwide plan that Mike can uh, verify has been going on for at least 150 years. And this is, you know, the source does experiments. Buddha was one. Uh, Jesus was another. Uh, this experiment involves uh, an enhancement of people's psychic abilities and permission for uh, entities, spirits, to materialize to individuals they believe will uh, publish and, and share their teaching. And they call it the K plan. That's why there's a K on the cover. Uh, the entity K is overlooking these committees, over managing these committees, and giving permission when materialization is uh, deemed to be a positive experience to the sitters involved. You define that as a revolution against negativity. Is, right. is that correct? That's, okay. That's how they define it. All right. Negativity. I mean, were we talking about, uh, you know, I don't feel good negativity? negativity? Are we talking about you dummy wrong negativity? Are we talking about, um, what, Crimea negativity? Uh, the way the world is seeing each other? What, yeah. what do we mean by negativity? Negativity uh, means that individuals have lost touch with their uh, inner soul and their intuition and their spiritual aspects. Uh, and there's lost being open to impingement from entities from spirit. So the negativity is partly becoming so materialistic to be out of touch with one's nature, uh, and that uh, the way society has trained us especially organized religion, has been uh, unnatural fear and its derivatives of guilt and shame. So negativity in terms of a negative view of self, the world, uh, the future, uh, negativity and being uh, self-centered as a separate person rather than realizing we're all interconnected and what you do to others you do to self. Uh, negativity and being out of touch with the universal laws of natural behavior, of which they listed uh, 10 explicitly, but really I came across a count of 21. So for people to live in a more natural, rhythmic life where they balance their intellect with their emotions, uh, their spiritual aspects, and their physical aspects. These are out of balance. 
people are too intellectual. They react to their emotions instead of act upon them. They express unnatural emotions. The entities listed five. I'm happy to go through them if there's time. Uh, that uh, to become rhythmic, if you're in touch with uh, all those four aspects of personality, intellect, emotion, your physical body, and your spiritual aspect, you'll be balanced. So negativity is being out of balance and <laughs> perhaps having a conscious mo- motive to harm people, to compete, survival of right. the fittest, instead of cooperating, that we're all interconnected. We like everything to come down to a pragmatic level. So okay. we have the idea of unconditional love, and, and we have the idea that, you know, whatever you do unto the least of thy brethren, you know, as the good book says, you have done under the body of whatever you hold to be sacred or holy, including yourself. So let me ask you this. Uh, you read a story or you see where someone is abused, seriously abused. You know, there was a, a popular story uh, not long ago about a 14-year-old girl who in Pakistan had been sold by her father to uh, a, a husband who became displeased with her because she failed to please him. So he cut her nose and her ears off, cast her out to the stable, um, where she crawled back to her parents' home and they would have nothing to do with her because she had disgraced them. And a part of me, I must admit, met this story with a great deal of enmity. I guess that would mean I'm not very spiritual then, because according to that definition, uh, wouldn't I, you know, wouldn't I find some way to love this or is... Is loving um, that which is unacceptable, is that a part of what you're trying to tell us is out of balance? Okay. First of all, unconditional love is not liking. It's respecting that every human being has a soul that comes from the source. We're all equal. So to accept unconditional love means you accept this, this man who has such a distorted you, this father, he's so distorted, he is it's miserable, personally, or he wouldn't act out like that. Your anger is positive if it motivates you to act upon uh, trying to prevent something like this happening or help people who are victims okay. of something like that. Positive anger will last. 10 or 15 seconds because it motivates you to overcome something you don't like. If you fall into hostility, that's an unnatural emotion, and you'll be miserable. Okay. So anger, positive anger, as you define it, is a part of unconditional love, and that is indeed my question. It's a natural emotion. Um, So, yes, it is. Okay. There's other emotions connected if you want me to list them for others. Uh, You're more than welcome to. I don't want to cut you off at all. Okay. Okay. So unconditional love is the major one. I think Bobby was sort of saying she felt that when she said her issues felt resolved. Mm -hmm. Uh, So natural love is unconditional. It's not liking. Uh, Natural anger, as I already talked about. Uh, Natural grief. 
shows our interconnectedness, that you're sad of losing something that you love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, natural fear uh, is for self-protection of the physical body. Unnatural fear involves creating neuroses, guilt, shame. It's very unhappy. And then there's a final emotion they talk about, uh, which they term jealousy, which is the desire to emulate, be creative, being inspired by others. Uh, envy is the unnatural part of it, where you want to destroy someone uh, that has something you would like to have. Reiterate again, if you would, I must have missed it. What is the positive part of jealousy? Positive part of jealousy is the desire to emulate, imitate okay. others, emulate. and right. become creative and grow yourself. Uh, most people use it jealousy when they really mean envy. Uh, so jealousy is a natural emotion. It is one reason we're inspired to uh, meet goals and pursue our purpose of life, which is another major message of the entity. If may I go on to that? Sure, a bit? sure. I mean, I, I'm not going to um, cut you off. You they, go ahead and flesh out this decide. whole thing. Yeah. Okay. They You're decide. the professor. I'm just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the talk okay, host. I'm sorry, I'm over talking. Uh, they introduced us to seven levels of evolution, and the first is incarnating. And the, before each and every incarnation, we uh, create a life plan, what they call a government of life. And this is our purpose for that particular incarnation. So we'll have intuitive sense to do things that we didn't logically deduce to do uh, that will move us towards that government of life. Uh, we'll have intuitions, we'll be impinged by our spirit guides and our dreams, sudden thoughts that pop into our head, you know, we didn't logically deduce them. That feeling will direct us to try to fulfill the reason for this particular incarnation. We chose our parents, we chose our own physical body, and we chose, uh, of course, the where the parents live, the environment what challenges that environment imposes for us to pursue our particular purpose for that particular incarnation. And each incarnation has different goals, of course, toward uh, the steps of evolution, uh, goals to live a rhythmic life that I described before and expressing natural emotions. Mm-hmm. Um if I can add one more point, when uh, uh entity, a spirit, chooses a physical body to endow, uh, they understand uh, that the physical body is designed uh, to differ in dimensions that will sound familiar from Carl Jung's work. Uh, physical bodies are designed to be either introverted or extroverted, Introverted being more uh, inclined intuitively and extroverted more relying, of course, on the physical environment. So they choose to be introverted or extroverted, and they choose whether their physical personality will be primarily uh, leaning towards thinking or feeling 
So let's say uh, empathy uh, once has had past incarnations where they express their emotions in an unnatural way. They might choose the feeling dimension to challenge them to act upon their emotions rather than react. So with your example about the father who cut off his daughter's nose, he reacted to his emotions instead of acting upon them, thinking about it, allowing his spiritual quadrant to come into play. For example, he reacted with fear, guilt, and shame, (laughs) instead of uh, with all the emotions, including love, uh, in his feelings. So maybe he chose a physical body that was more feeling than thinking, and part of his challenge was to be natural, but clearly he's not. He failed. He made a mistake. So when you die, when you discarnate, you look at your life span, your government is life, and you look at it as a checklist of what you had intended to accomplish and what you did accomplish. There's no fear, guilt, and shame. There's no ego and the unobstructed. They don't have a physical body. They see things clearly. Consciousness is not obstructed by matter. Mm-hmm. So they see, they knew they could make mistakes. They know how hard it is to live on Earth. Basically, they say their, their spirit is in prison in a physical body and still trying to be balanced in this day. So, um, I go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, again, I don't want to cut you off. I, I have okay. lots of questions coming to me as, as you're speaking, but they will okay, wait. So, you may answer yeah. them if you keep speaking. Yeah, so you have this checklist, and you're, you look at it uh, without the emotions we have in the physical body. You might feel regret that you didn't meet your government of life, and that will make it very easy. For you, you'll decide to reincarnate. You might choose a different different physical body, maybe one that's uh, more thinking than feeling, or introverted, extroverted. You know, there'll be various reasons. Over incarnations, you choose different physical personalities along the introversion, extroversion dimension, and the thinking, feeling dimension, because those physical bodies create different challenges for you to live a rhythmic life natural emotions in touch with your spiritual aspect. Okay, then. Now, I'm going to try and wrap this up with some kind of a label process, and that may not always fit, as you know. This doesn't sound to me like the teachings that we would think of as theistic. I mean, we've already knocked out, or at least Dr. Turner knocked out, the notion that we have an omnipotent being that knows everything Mm -hmm. in advance, okay? So we're really looking at something that's more deistic, if you will. It's a form of deism. And the expression, as you and I are uh, living it right this minute in our own evolution, is contributing to uh, the experience, if you will, of what we think of as the source, okay? Have I got that pretty right up to now? The source is evolving. And right. the source okay. evolves when entities so, merge back with it. 
in, in process theology, and I kind of like this metaphor, and again, I'll try it on, but if it doesn't fit, you stop me. Um, you know, panentheists believe that, uh, or they, they use this analogical approach, that we are in the, uh, in the body of the source, like the cells in our body are to us as a whole. And, and, in, and in that sense, uh, you know, we're contributing to the well-being of the whole, the source, just as the cells contribute. And or we're perhaps not enhancing the overall nature of the source, given our behavior. Now, what you have in, in a scenario of that nature is, is a disappointment for many people who depend upon retribution as a way of correcting the evil in the world. We have evil in the world. That is the great problem of philosophy when it comes to dealing with religion. Uh, So what are the teachings that come out of this channeling regarding, you know, what happens to the folks, the likes of which everybody turns to, like the Adolf Hitlers, uh, when they cross out of this world? Okay. Um, In the, uh, first of all, the source evolves and learns from even uh, Hitler and learns how people can behave in the obstructed. Right. But people have depended upon retribution uh, since the Egyptian oot. Uh, according to the energies, yeah, U-T-E, uh, 1 million 16,000 or 19,000 years ago. And they talk a lot about how oot invented sin, Satan and hell, because the uh, slaves believed in an afterlife. They were still spiritually connected, and they were so miserable that they chose to be beaten to death rather than be slaves. So, Oop, who the entities described as an incredibly brilliant man, invented sin, Satan, and hell, and convinced the, the slaves that this was the nature of the source. And their purpose was to be slaves. And if they uh, did not fulfill that purpose, it was a sin, and there's a Satan who will send them to hell. So they would involve the priests, you know, other uh, powerful uh, leaders around the world learned of Ut's ideas, just like leaders today, you know, collaborate on how to mm-hmm. control the masses. And the organized religion was founded by organized religion as we know it now, which is all based on sin, Satan, and hell. And if you took sin, Satan, and hell out of organized religions as we know it, what do they have to stand on? They don't talk about positive aspects of life and that you'll be forgiven and you can reincarnate, and you're not going to be punished by endless reincarnations as, you know, a code or something. You just have chances. You make mistakes. The source is forgiving. The source set up the laws and the energies involved that created reincarnation. The source knew that this earth was going to be a major challenge for spirits to get get into a physical body and still live a rhythmic life. I don't know if I'm answering. No, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, what you've done. Think about it. Take 
sin Satan and hell out of any organized yeah. religion. What you've and what done will is you've, you've eliminated all the televangelists, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> I don't watch them, but I would guess so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now you know they you, can do it to extract money and control, you know, keep their existence. You've described in Oot, is that how you say it? U T E Oot. Okay, yeah, you've described right. in Oot, um, in his creation, essentially the story that we hear is, a, is largely the Christian story. You know. You, and, and with within some aspects of Christianity, you're not saved because of your good works. You're saved right. by the grace of God. So we, we all right. come into the world through that lens as sinners. And right. we're just miserable, pitiful, decrepit beings that if we are, you know, good enough, lucky enough, or something enough may be saved. And you're saying this was the invention. Uh, one point, how many billion years ago of Oot? One million. One million. One million. million. 19,000 or 16, yeah. One okay. Now, oh, goodness gracious, we've got a break coming up. <laughs> I've got a big question I want to ask you. Okay. Uh, when we come back from the break, you know, this is a uh, 47 wow. billion year story. But the story itself, uh, by way of the human side of it, doesn't begin 47 billion years ago. So when we come, oh, I'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you to give us a quick chronology, if you will, of, sure. of going through the story, um, you know, so that we know how we incorporate 47 billion years and why is it humans were the chosen to receive the gift of intelligence and and what does that mean with regard to animals in and uh, our our quote in quotation marks i should say you know our dominion over the beasts of the field we'll get into that and a lot more when we get back and we'll get both uh, dr turner and uh, mr tim back into the show as well we hope you're enjoying our show today we'll be back in just a couple of minutes and we'll take your phone calls. So don't let me dominate this. If you have questions, well, it's okay if you do let me come to think of it. If you have questions, do call in. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after the following messages from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. InnerTalk.com.
And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the book 47 Billion Years of Evolution with Professor Elaine Hybe, neurosurgeon Dr. John Turner, and research historian Mr. Michael Tim. We'll take your phone calls in this half hour. Uh, it might be a little bit of a problem to get in because we've had all of our lines kind of tied up. Uh, but nevertheless, if you have questions of our guests, have any difficulty getting in on the phone, submit your question in our chat room. Remember, just go to uh, provocativeenlightenment.com um, forward slash chat. Ravinder and her team are there to put your questions forward. Okay, you know, I was going to go a certain direction with this next half hour, but the questions come flooding out of our chat room. Our chat room people know that uh, this is their half hour to bring questions forward, and so I'm going to put the questions on the table. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, what qualify it a little bit this way, if I may, uh, Professor Hybe. No disrespect intended, but. I know Mike and I know Jack and oh, no. uh, yeah. and when they step forward and they say, "Hey, this is this is something you want to look at. This is good. I'll do the forward on it." Uh, when Stanley Krippner says what he says, my mind opens up and I say, "Don't be a fool. Go get go get a good look at this." Of course, in that process, you know, it, it's incumbent upon a radio host, I think, or any. Anyone in my position in writing about it, etc., to become familiar with some of the what might be thought of as controversial subjects. Now, I've discussed this a little bit with Dr. Turner, and I wasn't sure if we'd get to it on the air or not. But when we have the question come out of the chat room, I'm just simply going to have to go to it. So... <clears throat> The question is, does Eldon believe the rumors of uh, the Barams being charlatans and their supposed involvement in sex acts with spirits, thus the reason Elizabeth Kubler-Ross distanced herself from them? I was just reading that online when I was curious about the relationships Kubler-Ross had with the Barhams. That's when I came up, when it came up, eeks. That's the question. Who wants to take that? Well, I think... I think I can. I don't think uh, the others uh, knew personally uh, okay. Marty and Jay. Um, first of all, Marty and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross are uh, both very um, opinionated uh, people. And they had clashes, but I think they resolved that. Uh, Jay was a very uneducated man. There's, you would know instantly <laughs> that he could not uh, even create one of the sentences that the entities uh, provide. I have them on audio tape, so I've read the transcripts in the book. Uh, Jay, as a person, did not live a rhythmic life. He was out of balance. Uh, he... Uh, I believe his incredible uh, ability at uh, just going into a trance and creating these materializations, being the channel, providing the essential catalyst or whatever, I think that uh, that distorted his personality, that he may have become more arrogant and engaged in inappropriate behavior uh, outside side of the dark room, not when he was in trance. Uh, so his, I would think it was his personality that uh, Elizabeth 
uh, Clinton stuff, and he did engage in in improprieties when he was out of print. He was uh, no one, uh, to my knowledge, has any reason to question that the entities materialized when uh, Jay was in France. The people who knew Jay when he was not in France didn't like him very much. All right. Am I addressing? Am I addressing? Yeah, you are. You're right on. Dr. Turner, you and I discussed this and perhaps why uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross withdrew from uh, the group. Uh, And and she is in the book and and is one of those people that you look to and say, oh, wow, if if she gave it credibility, there must have really been some here. Do you want to add anything to uh, what uh, Professor Hybe just uh, explained? Well, the way I understand it, the book uh, kind of explains all of what happened with uh, Dr. Kubler-Ross and why she withdrew from the group and about all these attacks and sexual allegations. And But as we discussed in the chat room, the whole thing boils down to this. It's not so much the messenger, but the message that's important. And just like the Bible has some important teaching points, uh, metaphysically speaking, so does this book. And that's why I think this book is really worth reading in order to try to look at the picture from an overall standpoint of we are truly all brothers and sisters, and we came from that same source. That's where we return once we've learned the lessons we come here to learn. I think that's why this book should be read. Mike, this one's more for you, because one of the questions out of the chat room has to do with the quality of the uh, images. And it, it essentially the question says, you can't really believe that these images aren't doctored, do you? Well, the, the problem is that, uh, again, as I mentioned before, the entity has to project the image into the ectoplasm. Now, some people, uh, I think the ability to do this is a lot like artistic ability. Some people can draw good images of themselves. If you ask me to draw a picture of myself, I'm going to draw a stick figure is about as good as I can do. Um, I relate to that. If, if you ask me to, to telepathically send a picture of myself over the telephone lines, uh, I, I probably will send you a picture uh, resembling a photograph that was taken of me 50 years ago, and I was much thinner and, and younger. Um, not the picture I see of myself when I'm shaving. Um, when I think of my deceased brother, he died about 30 years ago, I, I picture him in his high school graduation photo. I don't picture him at some moment in time. So how we get these pictures of ourselves and then project them to somebody else is is the, is the problem. And you know, a lot of the um, projections were, were partial. Sometimes only a face would appear, sometimes a hand would appear, and that had to do with the strength of the medium. Mediums come in different abilities, just like uh, the, the example I used recently in, in an article is like baseball players. I mean, you can get uh, Albert Pujols, who can, you know, hit 333 every season, and you can get ball players who, who hit 200. There, there's a difference in the ability of these players, the, the ability to... Uh, their their gift or their power, whatever it is, just comes in different degrees, just like baseball players. And you know, the same thing with the light. I mean, some mediums require complete darkness because they don't have that much power. Some can do it under red light because they have a little bit more power. And some, a very few, Daniel uh, 
D. Hume, who was considered the, probably the top medium of the uh, 19th century, could do it in, in subdued light. Uh, he was just a stronger medium. Uh, so it's a matter of degree. Okay, and that, that would explain why the photo doesn't look like a, a photo of, you know, you or I standing there with the day's photography. Right. All right. Back to you then, Professor Hybe. And where I was, I'm going to ignore some of these other questions for a minute, where I was before the break. Give us a quick overview, if you will. 47 billion years ago, what happened? When was consciousness deposited in human beings? What are the ramifications? Please bring that forward. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, the source conducts experiments, and 47 billion years ago, uh, he conducted an experiment. Uh, where now, you created, use the word he. Do, do you mean uh, he? I mean, no, I'm sorry, it. Okay, all right. That's my old, <laughs> I know, old <laughs> I know, I'm old school, too. But <laughs> but it, I, I'm sorry, I used it in the book. Um, it created an experiment that resulted in seven galaxies. And in three of them, uh, the galaxies, uh, they had one planet, uh, whose conditions were conducive to the form of life the source was interested in creating. So the source monitored, you know, with other, uh, entities, monitored these seven galaxies, but monitored these three planets, one in each of three galaxies. Uh, as to when they've evolved uh, materially to support uh, life. And then 47 million years ago, the source created life, all life, including the human creature, the human animal. It was just an instinctual animal like any other animal. For 47 million years ago, this is. The source monitored how every form of life evolved. Uh, seven million years ago, the source selected the human creature as being the most amenable to having a higher quantity and quality of consciousness or to a spirit to endow it. You know, the physical brain was conducive, the uh, human animal creature uh, capable of living in a wide range of environments. Seems like the most uh, adaptable animal. The source considered eight uh, gorillas chose the human animal uh, as being more adaptive than those others, more adapted to survive in a wider range of conditions. So seven million years ago, uh, human beings uh, worldwide were endowed with a soul, worldwide. This created some uh, shake-up because, uh, the, of course, the endowment was in newborns. And here there were parents with children who were much smarter than them, had more intellect, wide range of emotions rather than just positive, negative emotions. They had all these mo- emotions I listed before, uh, you know, like jealousy and <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, the spiritual part that they're connected. Mm-hmm. And human beings are given a lot of intention, like what fruit or plant, you know, is safe to eat, what's medicinal, at what level is it medicinal rather than poisonous. Uh, survival mechanisms, uh, were intense. The 
original endowed human was very psychic, very open to spiritual attention. It was uh, just a natural form of life, like accepting gravity. Uh, and if you're a human a being now, I'll say, who's endowed with a soul seven million years ago, lived rhythmically. And then about four million years ago, the entities used the biblical story of Cain and Abel uh, as a metaphor, uh, and that this was going on worldwide, that suddenly the, uh, the way they present it is that tribal leaders, some of them were, um, uh, had brain damage, were senile, and got out of balance. And the Cain and Abel story represents that. Cain didn't kill Abel, they say, Abel fell. Uh, the father comes seeing Cain all anguished, and in his senility, Cain couldn't explain to his father what happened. Uh, so his father had communicated him from the tribe that had never happened before. If there was somebody out of balance in the tribe, they'd have the person live on the edge of the tribe. They'd still take care of the person, but they wouldn't be excommunicated. So this notion of excommunication uh, induced a sense of guilt and shame uh, that people never felt before, this distorted derivative of, of fear, unnatural fear. Guilt and shame being excommunicated from your tribe, shame being blamed for violating a universal law of natural behavior. You don't show another person uh, intentionally, only out of self-defense with you. So this was a deterioration in rhythmic living four million years ago. Uh, slavery ended up being a result of that. This uh, notion that you can kill somebody, that you can be excommunicated. Cain was excommunicated. People like Cain <laughs> worldwide were. Uh, and they were distorted and out of balance, out of rhythm, and created slavery. So the next major event after that, uh, the Cain and Abel uh, metaphor for a million years ago, the next big event I mentioned already, one million nineteen thousand years ago, when this Egyptian ruler, he was not uh, any messiah or anything, and he was a ruler who tried to come up with how to solve the slavery uh, rebellion problem. Really, it wasn't a rebellion. It was like a sit-down. They just stopped working and allowed themselves to kill because they knew that afterlife and they could reincarnate if they want. <laughs> so that's when Uth, uh, over a million years ago, created sin, Satan, and hell as a way to control the masses. You can't, so, you know, so the slaves would work right. for Uth, who was a ruler. And uh, other rulers, of course, picked up on this great idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if I went through that too quickly. No, you know, that's that's really good. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about what you just went through. I mean, first thing that occurs to me is there's a great deal of correspondence between the notion of seven million years and seven thousand years and seven days, and these are stories that we hear 
common to theological, you know, well, the seven million leaving out, the seven to the theological nature of the creation of of the earth, okay? I mean, supposedly everything was created maybe 7,000 years ago. <clears throat> is there any days. meaning? <laughs> and in seven days, the Lord created it all, right? Is there any any meaning to that correspondence? Uh, not that the entities explain, uh, but you're right. It's 47 billion years ago, created the galaxies, 47 million life, uh, 7 million endowments. And there's also seven levels of spiritual evolution. So right. the, you're right about this number seven, that they didn't explain uh, the meaning of number seven. Okay, let me but, ask yeah, you the next I omitted one, two major, uh, uh, three major things about the after ooh. If, may I throw those please. in? Please, yeah, please, yes. Okay, so uh, things deteriorated so much, source decided it wanted to do another experiment. And it requested two entities, it requested entities that had merged with it. When you merge, you don't, the entity doesn't lose its identity. Uh, anyway, when you merge with the source, you no longer need to reincarnate in terms of meeting the challenges of living in the physical. But uh, the source tried an experiment with Buddha. Buddha chose to uh, reincarnate. And, you know, he emphasized for people to get more in touch with their soul, the spiritual quadrant, uh, to be non-judgmental and accepting, uh, to get over fear, guilt, and shame, which the negativity, revolution against negativity. Buddha had a great influence. The notion of karma has been distorted as punishment and reward. That's not how the universal laws work. Uh, you evolve. You learn from mistakes. You're not punished. Or rewarded. So Buddha had a lot of influence uh, in the East. Uh, the source wanted yet another experiment to influence the West. So Jesus uh, came forth as willing to incarnate again. He chose the Middle East because the Roman Empire and all the roads, his teachings could be easily spread. And of course they were. Uh, so there was Jesus, there's a long uh, part of the book of what happened to uh, Christianity uh, after Jesus' teachings being distorted in organized religion, adopting a lot of huge concepts in Satan's hell. So there was the Jesus ex uh, experiment, and then there's now, with psychic mediums popping up all over the place. We're in an experiment that might be, the entities wouldn't say. But before Buddha and before Jesus, a lot of uh, people were impinged upon to accept a very special person. Uh, we're now being uh, made comfortable with the idea of mediumship and psychics on TV and movies, books on the Internet. Uh, people becoming more accustomed to this idea. So this, this current experiment might just be a lot of medium, but we might also be in a, in a phase where we're being prepared to accept mediums, unlike now where they're called a fraud, they do something is wrong, like 
Barnum, you know, did some inappropriate behavior when he was not in France, you know, latching onto that, trying to discredit psychics and mediums. So we got a way to go. And for these individuals to not be diagnosed as schizophrenic or having some mental disorder, but seen as normal people and admired people with a very valid talent that's accepted and utilized. Whether or not that's it or whether or not we're in a stage of being prepared for a great psychic to incarnate that will have massive influence worldwide, I'm not clear on that. The entities weren't clear. Uh, but they insinuated that there would be a third uh, psychic, uh, third after uh, Buddha and Jesus, I mean, Buddha a third, Jesus. yeah, that will uh, incarnate and have a massive amount of influence. Uh, you know, how that will happen, I would assume it will use the Internet, and, you know. <laughs> 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 That's the way everything is today, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Uh, they'll register uh, a domain with ICANN. No. Okay, right. Listen. Right. <laughs> I, I have to ask you a couple things. I mean, first of all, you, in the beginning, you know, we have the source. You know, I mean, and all the creation epics are that, and you know, the Big Bang uh, theory. You know, in the beginning, there's right. nothing, and then from no thing, we get everything. All right. But I thought I heard you say that when the source created the constellations and the planets, that he had counselors. He, and I'm using that word inappropriate, it, had counselors, had advisors. Does that mean there's more than one source? I mean, I'm reminded of a Mormon uh, principle. I believe it goes something like, as uh, God or as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. Do we have some kind of evolution of that nature implied in what you're talking about? Well, the in terms of advisors to the source, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, where do the advisors interested. to the source come from? They are entities who have evolved to the seventh level uh, of evolution. But, but they yet merged with the source. Oh, I they, see. So they were they created have, before the forty-seven billion years of creation. Yeah, oh yeah, this is nothing. The 47 billion years, that's just our galaxy. Okay, all others. right. There are many, so, many other galaxies and experiments going on in the universe that the entities, you know, okay. indicated exist. But <laughs> all right, and, and, and we're just, and i got so many more questions, but we're flat out of time, and I want all three of you to be able to, you know, take enough time to tell everybody how they can find out more about you, uh, Mike, I, you know, you be sure and tell everybody about where your blog is. I read it. Uh, it's the only blog I read religiously. But I want all of you to have that opportunity. Let's begin with you, Professor uh, Hybe. How does anybody, everybody, reach out to you, learn more about what it is that you do, learn more about 47 billion years of evolution? Uh, well, you mentioned the Facebook page, the Facebook page, Evolution and uh, Spirituality. Plus, we have a page dedicated to the book, 47 Billion Years of Evolution, uh, Case Report. That okay. case report is important. And right. that the website is just 47billionyears.com. All right, real quickly, we got about 15 seconds, Jack. Um, you know, I'm no big thing here, but I would suggest everyone read this book. But for my work... 
my website, johnlturner.com. But, again, the importance is the message in this book, and I suggest right. everyone try right. to and, this. And, Mr. Tim, yours. Yeah, I, I would just say go to White Crow Books. Google White Crow Books, and you can find out you know, my books and other books there. And I think very highly of uh, both, uh, well, of all three of these people, so you have my recommendation, too. Uh, all right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guests and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends, See, let's get them involved as well. All right, remember, uh, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. <laughs>